but we are looking at uh, verses 5 through 7. And let me just read those verses to you. And this is from Hebrews chapter 10. Consequently, oh, I would like to change the way this is being recorded. So give me a second here. Sorry, Jack. I would like from chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then said I, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And so with these words, we can see that Christ is being spoken of here by the writer of the book of Hebrews, where he has said, I am going to do the will of my Father. And this is important. Many times our eyes catches the phrase, well, a body hast thou prepared me. And that is a very important phrase for us to understand that Christ came and was made like us, flesh and bone. And so it was this way in which he bore our sins. But just as importantly as God taking on our flesh to bear our sins, he said, I come to do your will. Because it's one thing for to, to, to bear our sins, but it's another thing to actually actively live righteously to give us his righteousness. Christ did two things. He bore our sin and then he provided righteousness. And so in this one scripture, we see the imputed sin to Christ and the imputed righteousness to us. And so these things are only shadows, but they do point to the certainty that Christ is giving us a complete salvation in him. And now let me remind you of the doctrine that we were looking at. It's a very simple doctrine. The work of the Lord Jesus is perfect and complete. But it is not quite done yet. His justifying work is done. And his work in us to save us from the power of sin is continuing. But one day we will have a new body in Christ. And so the Lord came for us to die for us. But the Lord will once again come again and complete his work in this present evil world. This particular passage was quoting from Psalm 40. And it was quoted from the Septuagint because it claimed that a body hast thou prepared me. And if you looked in your King James, it would not be worded that way, but it can be translated that way. And so this particular psalm that we're quoting from Psalm 40, it is a messianic psalm. And it's been divided in four different areas. And we went through those areas slightly just at the very beginning. But in verses 1 through 3, it talks about waiting upon the Lord and being heard. Now, as a messianic psalm, we must remember that it was Christ who was waiting, waiting upon the Lord to be heard. But the psalm itself was written by David. And so he also waited upon the Lord to be heard. And as David was a Christian, as we are Christians, we can still learn that same lesson. That we should be waiting upon the Lord and we shall be heard. But we should also remember that our Lord in the days of his flesh, waited upon his God. Sometimes we, we think that our Lord is, is all God and all man, which is true. And sometimes we don't understand that as a man, he was like us. He waited upon the Lord. 
And I do know that scriptures will show us in one place or in another place where we had knowledge that only God would know. But God can give this to any man just as he gave him to Christ. The things that I can think of, such as Nathaniel, whom he saw under a, under a tree, I saw you there. Well, I, I've never seen anything like that, but there are other prophets who have. And so he was like us in all ways. And we must remember that what we should have done, Christ did do. And so the second part, verses 4 and 5, those who see and hear, or shall those who see and, and fear God will trust in the works of God. And we saw that in that section, verses 4 and 5, that there was the idea that the truth can be seen, and if it touches the heart to the point where we fear, then it moves us to trust. And this is the goal of the gospel, that we would hear, that we would fear, and that we would rest in the work of Christ. And so the third part we'll be looking at today, and the fourth part, the Lord is determined to do his Father's will. If only we would be as determined as he was. And I believe that he is the example for us to do so. And there are reasons why we should. He's given us those reasons. And the greatest reason is that he was determined so that he could fulfill all things. Everything that God wanted him to do, he did. He did those things that pleased the Father. And he was well-pleasing to, to his Father. Behold my Son in whom I am well-pleased. And this is the one in whom we hide. The righteousness that he earned. And the sin that he endured for our sakes. And the last part, verses 11 through 17. The Lord depends only on his Father to deliver him. He doesn't deliver on any. He doesn't de depend on anyone else. He depends only upon his Father. And all the help that we receive in this life, we know, comes from the hand of God. And so, let's go on and go through this. We'll pick up where we left off. And we'll start with... Part number three, which is verses six through ten. In Psalm 40, verse six, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. And so we spoke just briefly last week, but I want to remind you again that the offerings and the sacrifices that were given in the Mosaic law was a type and a shadow, and that it showed how sin can be atoned for. It provided a ceremonial presence of God, the Shekinah glory above the ark, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. His presence was there for all to see, and these shadows accomplished that. Just as the genuine sacrifice of Christ provides within us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he is there, the presence of God, that the Holy God should indwell within us is a mystery that can only be solved by the beauty of Christ. He is the one. Without us being in him, God could not be in us. And so it is true for our Lord that he would say, in the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, and your law is within my heart. And this is where the presence of God comes in. But since we have this gospel accomplished, we know 
that we have this law written in our hearts also. Now, I would like to spend just a few minutes upon this idea of having the law of God written upon our hearts. We know that writing something and having it written upon the heart is a little bit different than having the love of that in your heart. Because the law was written by the finger of God on stone, on something hard, something cold, something dead. And just because the mind of man understands what is right and wrong does not mean that the law is etched upon the flesh of his heart where he has the affection for it. But instead, the work of the law is there convicting of sin. And being a tutor and being a schoolmaster would bring someone to the, to the understanding that they cannot stand before God. And the work of this law condemning them, only then do they realize, though they know the law, even though it's etched in their mind, they have always had no love for it because it was that law that condemned them. But our Lord says, your law is within my heart. And with our Lord, it was written in blood by affection, because he is the image of the unseen God. He is the one. And when we have Christ in us, that image is pressed upon us like the seal of a king. We take upon the image of Christ. Why and how? It is the love of God's law. It is the love of who he is in character and in virtue. And so when we say, and even in our confession of faith, and even when we preach about every man knows what is right and wrong, and the law is written in their hearts, to the unsaved it is written there, so that they may know and be convicted. But for the man who's had the Spirit of God quicken him, then what's written in his heart is an affection, is a love. It is something that comes out of him like a well of living water. So our Lord was like that from the very beginning. He was a man that said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the, of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O God. Not like us. It is written in my heart, is what the Lord said. And this is what the scripture says. I can only imagine what it would be like to walk on that road to Emmaus after the Lord rose from the dead and those two disciples being dejected, being downhearted. You know, they would say something like, well, we, we thought this would be the one. We thought he was the real Messiah. How disheartening would that be? But he attached themselves to them on their road and started to talk to them. And he said, you know, oh, fools. Now, you know, you know, when you call somebody a fool, sometimes, you know, even in the scripture, it says you don't want to call somebody a fool. Well, there sometimes the idea is that if you have within your heart enmity and you say, you're just a fool. But this isn't that way, is it? No, even the word fool is just dripping with affection and love. Oh, if only you would not be so foolish to be slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken ought not Christ, to have suffered these things and entered into his glory, should he not have suffered? 
Why did it not enter into their hearts and minds? Because they had no idea of the mystery of godliness. That's how Paul put it. The mystery of godliness that Christ should bear the iniquity of the guilty. That the just should bear. I mean, that, that, the, that God would justify the unjust. That is the mystery of godliness. Should not have Christ suffered these things. And then risen entered into his glory. And he says at the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in the scriptures the things concerning him. Boy, would, you know, that walk to Emmaus would have replaced so many seminaries in this country. The ability to be shown this scripture concerning Christ. This is what he said. I delight to do thy will. We read in John chapter 10 this. Jesus answered them, and uh, this is where we are encouraged by Christ to walk in his steps. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So as you can see, all that God has done in Christ, they bear witness of what he has done. But also, they give to us the same pattern that we should live the way Christ lived. That we should do those things that please God. This is how we walk with our Lord. This is how a servant serves. This is how when we said in the, in the previous verses, when, when his ear was hollowed out or shall we, it was drilled through, that we should become a permanent servant of God. Even though <clears throat> we've had the year of Jubilee come and all of our debts have been paid, yet then we willingly stay to be a permanent servant of God. And that is what it is like for us to have all these things done for us. We willingly walk to do those things that please God. So, let's go on <clears throat> in verse 9 of chapter 40 of the psalm. I have told you the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, and you know, O Lord. And I'm going to put together with that verse number 10. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from generation to generation. And this has been the work of our Lord when he was in the flesh, was it not? Even when David spoke these words, they were true of him. But this is a psalm in which the inside information concerning Christ is now revealed. When Christ was in his flesh, he did not hold back the news of deliverance. He preached in every congregation he could. He went into the synagogues. He had fields of people waiting to hear his word. And he did not hold back. He did not restrain his lips. He says, you know that I have done that. Because he was honest in his heart and his service to God. Now, David wrote these words. And it was true of him. But it was more true of Christ. And I challenge you now. Is it true of you? Is your life that life, just as our Lord was, do you have opportunity to train your children? Do you have opportunity to train your grandchildren? Do you have the opportunity to be? Just be who you are in Christ. And that's a, this is the challenge, isn't it? This is the challenge to be just one person, not duplicitous, 
not one person to the world and in something different inside your home. This is the opportunity for you to be that one person before God, to take that facade that the world depends upon. Remember that Satan depends upon not just duplicity, but always deceitfulness, deception. What you see is not what is there. We must become that true image. We must have our lives stripped away of any type of duplicity to where when we stand before our families and before our congregation, that we may teach the word of God from the heart and not have our lips restrained. And we have not hidden anything from the ones which we love, that the deliverance of God may come truly from our hearts when we speak it. And Christ, he spoke all these things in faithfulness. And so may we also do these things. We should not conceal our steadfast love for God at all, at any time. It is the love of God, and it should be done in the great congregation. It should be done in the face of the world. Do not be ashamed of your God. Do not be ashamed to be who you are. Be the Christian. Be that person in light of all that is around us. Let's go on to the next section. The section number four of this psalm, which is in verses 11 through 17. The Lord depends only on his Father to deliver him. This is a lesson that many Christians need to learn. And this is something that our Lord was good in his example to teach us and to show us. And so let's, re let's keep this in mind as we go through these verses. Verse number 11, we read this. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. This is a statement of faith and an affirmation that the Lord is saying, no matter what happens to me, I know that my God will not restrain his mercy. He will not hold it back. His mercy is what he depends upon. Not upon, not upon the, the kindness of strangers and not upon the world and not upon what the king has in his own heart. Because the heart of the king is in the hand of God. No matter what happens, he knows that all help and all kindness comes from God his Father. His steadfast love and his faithfulness will preserve Christ. Now, you may say, well, that's easy for him. He was the sinless one. It's not so easy for me. I have sin. You don't understand. He did what we should have done. He was a man doing this. He was a man like you and me. He was flesh and he was blood. And we must understand that when that sin was laid upon him, God was not smiling at him any longer. He had our sin. And he was alone. He didn't have his father. He didn't have us. We abandoned him. He was all alone. And yet, in that condition, he trusted God. You may say, well, I don't see God. When Christ bore our sins, he trusted him. He trusted him. Psalm 40, verse 12. For evils have encompassed me beyond number, and my iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. And you may say within your life, well, surely that's not messianic. Surely that's not the Lord. That's not the one. God in Christ cannot say, 
Ah, the evils have encompassed me beyond number. Well, David can say it by saying, yes, I have sinned against God. And you and I can say, I have sinned against God. But when God bore our sins, they weighed him down to death. They weighed him down and put him under the hatred and wrath of God his Father. And the iniquities overtook him and sunk him down. And no longer did his father smile. They were more than the hairs of his head. They broke him. His heart failed. And when I say they broke him, does that say they broke his faith? No, no. What happened to him is that he knew that his mercy would never be forsaken. That God would be constant in his mercy. Mercy, His steadfast love and his faithfulness was ever before him and would ever preserve him. And so in that hour, he trusted God. And it is that, that this hour is where we need to mimic and to walk as our Christ walked. We need to have that same attitude we need to take upon our sins and deal with them in our lives. We need to sanctify ourselves, set ourselves apart from the world. We need to repent of our sins daily as we wake up from our lives. David did this. The Christian should do it. And we see that our Christ had that same mentality, that he bore these sins and that he depended only upon God his Father. Verse number 13, we read this. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. This is one of the most amazing passages in this chapter. That God in Christ should be asking his Father that he should be pleased to help him. It's one thing to see a sinner say, please have mercy upon me. But it's another thing to say, be pleased to do so. Isn't that asking a little bit too much that God should be pleased to help a sinner? But when it comes to being in Christ, I know that God is pleased to save me because this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is that extra mile that we have been given in grace that God is pleased to save sinners. He is just. He is holy. There's going to be a day of judgment in which everything will be made right. Every tear wiped away. And when I say wiped away, it doesn't just mean that the tears are wiped and then they keep coming and they're wiped again. Whatever caused those tears, God is going to remove that and fix that. All that has been wrong will be righted. All that is unjust shall be dealt with. There is nothing that's going to be undealt with on the day of judgment. Hell will be a place of justice. Heaven will be a place of mercy. And with this, God will be pleased. And so Christ, in his understanding, as a man, he is asking God to be pleased to deliver me. Be pleased to deliver me. And this is something that we should be praying for. Now, how can we pray that in all honesty if we walk before God in our own righteousness? How can we stand up in our own pride and say, you know, I'd rather uh, stand on my own two feet than to be given this freely 
I'd like to have what I've earned. I would like to at least have enough to say, well, I'm a man. I would rather walk on my own two feet than to be humbled by God. Milton said something like this in his poem, you know, better to, to serve, you know, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. And that is the attitude of many people. I'd rather be in charge of my own life than to serve God. But this is the opposite attitude. This is the attitude that he is, that Christ is praying. Oh, be pleased to save me a sinner. This is what we were saying. But Christ is saying, I have had all these sins placed upon me. All of these sins. So be pleased. Be pleased to deliver me. Because in that deliverance, God is being pleased to deliver his righteous son. And within him is us. Be pleased to save us. Make haste to help me. Make haste to help me. The pleading of our Lord. How long was it? I have no idea how long those days in the grave that he bore that weight. But I can only imagine a man who has never known sin to bear sin. And he is pleading with God to make haste to deliver him and to be pleased. I'll tell you what. I am so glad that I have a Savior like the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is so able. That he is so worthy. That he has done all to save my soul. And he is now at the right hand of God. Verse number 14, we read this. Let those who put to shame and disappoint all together who seek to snatch away my life. Let those turn back and be brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. This gives us an insight into the nature of this world. That there are those, and I say it can be clearly seen in the nature of the, of the devil and the fallen angels. But especially those who are willing to be deceived by wickedness. That they should suppress the knowledge of the law in their own hearts. That they would rather believe that there is no God than to be accountable for the sin they know they are guilty of. So that they would actually take pleasure in the suffering of the righteous. Let those be put to shame and disappointed who seek to snatch away my life. They seek the life of Christ because he was good. Do not think that they will not do that to us. They will. They will do that, do that to us. They will seek to destroy us in order to keep their sins hidden. They are willing to see the righteous suffer. I'd like to read this next verse before I continue with that. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Ha ha, ha ha. I can't imagine people mocking and even laughing at the destruction of the righteous. You know, there's, there's something about a prideful man that when he is mocked, he just wants to, 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 to strike out against those that mock against him. And yet, you know, what did our Lord do? He took it, didn't he? He took it for your sake. But he is also saying, the very spirit of this wickedness that rejoices in the destruction of the good, let those be ashamed. 
let them be disappointed. And was his prayer answered? Oh my goodness, he rose from the dead and God saved his people. How disappointed can you get if you were the devil? How disappointed can the world be if they destroyed Christ for being good? And they thought, well, he was the savior, let him save himself. He was a physician, let him heal himself. And they just mocked him, mocked the good one to preserve their own wickedness. And yet, in that, they were proven to be the enemy of God by the resurrection of the one that they mocked and hated and took pleasure in killing. Let me, let me warn the wicked here. Let me warn the wicked. Do not take pleasure in hurting the good and righteous people of this world. Be fearful. Be fearful. God will not be mocked. And God is just and he is almighty. And there is a day in which there's an appointed time in which your foot shall slide. In due time, the foot of the wicked will slide and there is no recovery from that. And our Lord has prayed for that. Psalm 16, that is verse 40, verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation continually say, Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. That is the mantra of the one who is able to endure the mocking and hatred of the world, knowing that God will raise him up on that last day. Great is the Lord. We are going to be consumed and eaten by this world like bread. But you know what? That phrase reminds me of, of a time when God sent, that is, Moses sent 12 uh, into the promised land, you know, to spy out the land. And they came back and 10 of them said, you know, we saw the sons of Anak there. They're really big. They're like giants. And we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. And you know what Joshua and Caleb said? They would be our bread. We can do this. God can give us this land. He said they will be our bread. That's how he put it. I'm telling you right now, no matter how bleak this world is, no matter how down it can be, God is great. God is great. Look only to him for your salvation. These last two verses are like a benediction and a closing in prayer. As for me... I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Do you see? Even the words of, of Joshua can be seen here. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But he says, and as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. The almighty, the all-knowing, the one that knows where we are, the keeper. He is the keeper of our soul. He takes thought of me. The one who has created all things, control of every molecule, everywhere, things that we can't even fathom where they're at. He's in control of all these things, and yet he thinks upon you, and he is abounding toward you in grace. He says this, I have sought you out, and I have loved you. I am patiently going to work my will, and I will never slumber until it is done. And we, even though we are poor, and even though we are needy, let us within our hearts seek 
God. Let us, with true hearts, love him. Let us stand upon the rock of the truth of the gospel, upon the solid ground of the faithfulness of God, the one who loved us and died for us. So what do you think? Do you think God thinks on you? He most certainly does. Let us have confidence in God. And so as the Lord has said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. So what shall he done? What has he done? He consistently does the will of his Father. And his will of the Father was this, that he die for your sin. And that he bear your iniquities. And that he rose to justify you. And then he will continue to justify you, to give you a life of courage to live in this world. No matter what happens. No matter what happens. And there may be horrible things that will happen. But God's grace is sufficient. And we shall stand on that last day. And though the flesh fall, we shall see him. We shall see him. He came for us the first time to die for us, but he will come again to complete that salvation. May God add his blessing to the truth that he has given to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we now acknowledge the greatness of your power, the greatness of what you have done, and we rest upon your promises. And we want to thank you, Lord, that you have thought upon us, that you have given to us the things that our Christ has accomplished that you have killed our Lord for our sake. But because he was worthy, he rose again. And we want to thank you that all that he did in, in trusting you has now been given to us. We want to thank you, Lord, for your great, your great faith and the greatness of your work and the willingness to die for us and how it was a gift to us. And may we walk in your steps and may we see the, the great example that you've done for us and may we rest in your finished work. Oh Lord, finish in us. Finish in us this great work. Enable us to walk by your side and, and we ask, Lord, continue your work within us and make us like Christ. And come again, Lord Jesus. Come again that we might be in your presence forever. We pray these things in the name of our Lord. Amen.